This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Houston, we have a podcast. You're listening to the Premier Rockets podcast. It's H-Town Hoops. Hosted by Brandon Scott and Adam Spolane. It is the H-Town Hoops podcast. Brandon Scott here with Adam Spillane, Austin Mendez behind the scenes, handling everything for us. We appreciate you. And in this episode, we're going to get into, we haven't talked to you guys since the news of M.A. Udoka being hired as the Rockets head coach. And since then, of course, we've had the introductory press conference. Adam Spillane was there. We are going to give some takeaways and discuss the what what came of the press conference with with Ime Udoka. And I'm going to get into some off-season strategy here with Adam a little bit in this episode, but we can lead off top here with the Jalen Green trade rumors. And I don't even know if it's fair enough to call them trade rumors exactly because as we both know, there are more trades that are discussed that don't get reported, that actually do get reported. But it was one out there last week. I think it was Yahoo Sports that mentioned that the Rockets would be willing to entertain Jalen Green being floated out there in return for a proven star or a true star, I think it might be how it was exactly worded. But however it was, they the report is that they would be willing to to deal Jalen Green for a proven star. What is your sort of thought about that and sort of like how 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 would they go about that or what that would mean for the team? Also, I have many thoughts. And first, this was one of those things that was kind of floated about during head coach interviews where you're discussing the roster and um, whether it was Rafael Stone or Patrick Petita or Eli Wotus, whoever was in the room, they kind of floated out the idea of, hey, this is something that we have talked about. And the first thing that came to mind was, first of all, there's no such thing as an untouchable player on this roster. And uh, there is nobody who you would say is good enough, at least at the moment to be an untouchable player on this roster. And so if you are Rafael Stone and somebody calls you and says, hey, we're interested in Jalen Green, and you just hang up the phone, then you're not doing your job. I mean, part of your job is to make the most out of the roster that you have. And if somebody is going to call you and offer you 200 cents on the dollar for Jalen Green, then you have to at least listen and you have to have a meeting about it. So that was the first thing. It's like, okay, yeah. I mean, if they, if they, if it's something that they've talked about, then that's something that you should talk about as a team because that is how you do your job. If, if you're not at least discussing this sort of stuff, then you are selling yourself and the organization that you work for short. The other thing, though, was that this is more of to me. This wasn't like anything that they are seriously considering. I think this is just something that came up during an interview. And when you are interviewing potential head coaches. 
you are going through your entire roster and you are just kind of floating out ideas and seeing how um, the person that you're interviewing, seeing what they think. And so to me, it's almost like it, to me, it's almost like a test where and, and I don't know if this is what they were doing, but I know the Rockets are very, 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 very high on Jalen Green. That's why you draft them where, where they did. But to me, it's almost like as an organization, you feel like Jalen Green is probably a star. And so in the interview, you say to the to whoever you're interviewing, hey, you know, one of the things we've talked about is, you know, is trading for is trading Jalen Green saying, you know, maybe if we can, you know, use Jalen Green to get another star where you might already think Jalen Green is that star. But you do this, you float this out there just to see the reaction that you get from the person that you're interviewing. And so if you as an organization think that Jalen Green is a future star, he's a one of one. But you float this out to whoever you're interviewing and that person says, you know what? Yeah, I think that you should use him to to trade for to trade for a star. Well, then that coach, that potential coach doesn't share the same vision that you might have of Jalen Green. So, you know, you're wasting your time. And so when this whole process started, when the when the coaching search started, what Rafael Stone said was that he's not looking for an offensive guy, a defensive guy. He's not looking for a guy who has been a head coach before, who hasn't been a head coach before. He was looking for someone who shared his vision with the organization. So if you as an organization think that Jalen Green is going to be a star, then you better hire a coach who also believes the same thing about Jalen Green. So to me, it was one of those things that it got a lot of headlines on Friday. A lot of people clicked on it, got a lot of uh, a, a lot of discussion on social media. But at the end of the day, I thought it was one story that had it just it was a big nothing burger. Well, what do you think about it as a concept, though? Because I think it's one thing to say that you want to be on the same page, that you want to have the same vision. But I would go back to your initial point that I think is a valid one, that there's no player on this team that has established himself on a level of like the only guys that are untouchable. I agree with you for the most part. There's no guy that's untouchable. The only guys that you would probably say are untouchable are like perennial MVP candidates, you know, like you're not, it would be, you're more than likely not trading Giannis Embiid, Jokic. Like there's a, there's a list of guys who are not getting traded. We understand that, but, but none of those guys are on this roster. That's why that is in part why, why the Rockets are where they are right now, because they don't have a guy like that, or at least they don't have somebody that's proven themselves to be a guy like that. Jalen green could eventually become that guy who you do look at and say, like, we don't know yet, you know, after year two, but he could become that guy that you look at and say, no, there's no way you could trade Jalen Green. He's a perennial MVP candidate, but it, it's not that now. And I do think there's something to the idea of, okay, could, could trading Jalen Green, he is, while he's the player with the player that you have with the most upside, more than likely that, that also means he's probably your best trade chip. You know, so could he be your best way to accelerate where you're trying to go as an organization? If you are like you're hiring M.A. Udoka, you're thinking about signing James Harden. Maybe you've got some interest in Jalen Brown. And we'll get into some of this a little bit later. But like you've got all of these ambitions. Could that be the ticket to accelerate into where you're trying to go, especially if, you know, depending on what happens with this draft? Right. Like you can like the draft is going to play out before you have to make some of these decisions as well. So. What do you think about the, the just the the concept, the idea of tr of trading Jalen Green and how, you know, how how that could possibly affect or or, or potentially accelerate the Rockets' timeline? You know, it, it kind of depends on the player, right? And, and look at I think the best example of this is what Sacramento did with Tyrese Halliburton, 
where Halliburton was essentially in the same stage of his career. They traded him in his second year, uh, and, and they traded for an all-star in DeMontis Sabonis. Now, if I'm the Rockets, and I have that, and I think that that, that trade was fine for Sacramento. Obviously, it got them into the playoffs for the first time in, in 17 years, and, and Sabonis was really good. But if I'm the Rockets, and I have that same sort of offer, I'm not doing that. There's no way that I'm doing that because, first of all, Sabonis is now a free agent after next year. So that really accelerates your timeline. And you're also giving up um, Green, or in that case, Halliburton, you're giving him up with two years left on his rookie deal. Plus, he's a restricted free agent. So he's basically under team control for a while. So that's why that sort of a trade I'm not doing. Now, let's say Dallas calls and Luke is just tired of the whole thing. He's ready to go. And they say, and Lucas got what, th- four years, three or four years left he, on, he, on his he literally, he literally just signed the deal. Yeah. This I think this was the first year of his extension. I might have the years off on that, but you know, you know what I mean. Right. Now, if Dallas says, hey, we're ready to get out of the Luca business, and they say, hey, Luca for, for Jalen Green, I'm doing that. You know, yeah. as good as I think Jalen Green is and, and can be potentially. That's the type of trade that I'm that I'm that I would that would that I would absolutely make. That's the whole 200 cents on the dollar type of a trade. But I don't think that sort of a trade is out there. But that's but that's why you listen. That's why as a GM, you listen, because if that trade were ever to become to to be out there, then you have to make it. But again, I don't think that sort of a trade is out there. Now, you know, let's say Minnesota calls and they're ready to move on from towns. Are you trading Jalen Green for towns? I would not personally. No. Uh, but I think that's the type of trade that you would be looking at now. And, and I, I know we're going to talk about this, but Jalen Brown is the other one. If yep. Boston says, Hey, Jalen Brown for Jalen green straight up. I'm not doing that either because it could be a rental with Jalen Brown. Who's a free agent after next season. He's not going to sign an extension this summer. So then you are, you are potentially renting Jalen Brown for one year and giving up Jalen green and doing so. So no, I'm not doing that. So there, so, so the, the, the players that I would do that sort of a deal for, it's very minute. There are very few that I would even consider it. Uh, and I don't think that that trade would even be out there. You go for Bradley Beal? No. Oh God. No, not with that contract. Would you? Don't no. tell me you would. Okay. No, no. I'm, I'm just, I'm just throwing ideas out there. For me, so the, the Bradley Beal example to me just, just goes to show the, the length of possibility that you're talking about when you're thinking about, okay, what's a true star? Like Bradley Beal's a star, but like you said, like you just, you scoffed at that, and, and I, I agree with you. I'm just throwing out names, but like Bradley Beal's on one end of the spectrum. Jalen Brown's on a part of end of the um, spectrum. Luca is at the high end, unrealistic possibility end of the spectrum, right? So to me, it's just kind of a back to to how you kind of initially mentioned it. It depends on who the player is and what exactly you're talking about in the trade. Uh, moving on to some of the takeaways from uh, from the Udoka press conference. Let's start with the cap space. Uh, yeah, let's let's talk about the the emphasis on the cap space because I feel like that was a big thing that came out of there. Uh, the owner Tillman Fertitta talked about it. Obviously, Rafael Stone was there, and and Ime Udoka himself talked about it. Uh, how caps cap space is key. It's a big a big thing, a big deal with them, especially with this particular offseason for them. Roughly around sixty million in cap space, um, and there was a big emphasis on that. You were there. What? 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What for you do you think, what was was sort of your takeaway from that? And and what do you think would be sort of the best use, perhaps, of the cap space? What what were they sort of getting at there when they're talking about that? The cap space has been something that they've been talking about now for a while. And you look at... The last couple of off seasons after they moved on from Harden, they moved on from from uh, Russell Westbrook. They really were they couldn't do a whole lot to improve the team uh, aside from you know use the picks that they got because they had no cap space. They were capped out because of Wall. They were capped out because of Eric. Or you know they were they were just capped out there. So they had very little flexibility. But you look at the trades that they have made, the big trades, the Harden trade. They took on no future money. Uh, they traded Christian Wood. They took on no future money. They traded Eric Gordon. They took on no future money. And the reason that they did that was because they wanted the cap space for this summer. Once Wall's contract came off the books, they knew they'd have a lot of money to spend. Uh, they uh, they made some smaller moves too. I mean, they traded Daniel Tice. They took back no money in the future. They traded uh, David Nawaba, who had a year left on his contract. They took back no extra money in doing so. So they've basically been setting up. You look at all the guys that they have on the roster. It's basically a bunch of guys who are just on their rookie deals uh you you just you just look up and down it's rookie it's rookie deal guys it's uh it's dacian nicks who's you know has a a a non-guaranteed deal Uh, and then you have kevin porter who's really the one guy making money in jay sean tate so it's porter it's tate and then it's all the guys on rookie deals for the most part because they knew that they wanted to set themselves up to have as much flexibility as they could so you know they're going to have 60 million they will i don't know if there's a team that will have as much cap space as them so it just allows you to go and you know you can essentially set the market for some of these guys so it's it's nice to have in theory it's great there's nothing better than being able to say that we have cap space but it's one thing to have cap space it's another thing to get players to take your cap space and then also when you have a lot of cap space you tend to overpay for guys and that's where things can get a little bit dangerous well what's interesting to me about this and, and you correct me if i'm off base on this but what I find real interesting about the cap space situation is, is it not that they have enough cap space to both pursue a star or high-level player in free agency, obviously, and trade for for another, like, and also make a trade yeah. for for a high-level player? Like, like there's enough cap space. What I'm getting at here is that when we talk about cap space, we're not just talking about free agency. I don't know. You could probably better articulate that than I am. But when we're talking about the the amount of cap space that the Rockets have, we're talking about free free agency and or signing for a high-level player. And th- that's what makes the trade rumor so interesting, whether they're going to trade Jalen Green specifically or not. The idea that they could be interested in a player on that level and have the money to do it and pursue a high-level free agent is what makes, to me, the offseason and the cap space emphasis particularly really interesting. Yeah, no, because a lot of times, if you want to trade for a star, the money has to add up. 
Right. But you have a ton of cap space, then you can just fit that player into your cap space. And you don't have to worry about making the salaries add up. But yeah, they absolutely could. So I'm trying to see. Um, I, I believe James, if, if they were, let's let's just use James Harden as the example. That's the easy one. I, I think that, and I'm trying to read this. Okay. So if they were to, um, if they were to sign James Harden in free agency, he, he's got 10 plus years of service. So a max contract for him starts at 47 million, 46.9 million is what it starts at. So they could give James Harden that he, they could give him the max for the 2023, 2024 season still have money left over. Um, they could go after a, another type of max player. They'd have to make the salaries line up at that point. But it's a little bit easier when you're already having cap space, and they do. You know, the one thing about while well, they have a bunch of guys on their rookie deals, um, guys like Jalen Green, guys like Jabari Smith Jr., because of where they were picked in the draft, they're making a pretty good amount of money. So it makes it a little bit easier to match up the salaries if they wanted to go that route. But let, let's just say they whiff on Harden. If they just were to whiff on Harden and you get a team that just wants to shed a contract, a big contract, a good player, but they just don't want to pay that guy. Um, or or even somebody, let's just throw Towns in as an example. Let's say the Wolves, they just want to roll with Anthony Edwards and Gobert and, and that duo. And they say, you know what? We don't even want necessarily players for Towns. Just give us all the picks from the Brooklyn trade. And the Rockets can just slide Towns into their cap space if they were to miss on James Harden or any other big free agent. So that's where having the cap space uh, comes in handy. Or if you miss on everybody and you have a team who's trying to, to shed salary, then you, in a sense, become a predator. And you can say, okay, you need to get under the luxury tax. You need to get under the cap to sign this guy. We'll take your bad contract, but give us a bunch of first-round picks to do so. So having cap space becomes a bit of an advantage with that because it allows you to do a few more things than, maybe, than you can otherwise. But it's just about how you use your cap space, and that's where things can become difficult. And this is, you know, they've got a couple of summers. Like if they, I, I know they want to spend all their cap space this summer because they want to be good next year. But if they don't, they could roll over that cap space and still be okay. But once you get past the 2025 season, that's when you're having to pay Jalen Green. That's when you're having to pay Shen Goon and some of these guys. And now all, all your cap space evaporates. So they basically have two summers where they can have cap space. Then it all disappears once they start giving out extensions. Man, even in the contract offloading, give me your bad contract scenario that you painted there. I still don't think I'd want the Bradley Bill contract. <laughs> Oh no! Like I, there's no, and not to pile on Bradley Bill. Like he's a really, really good player. Just that contract is ridiculous. Well, he's he's got five years left on it. Right. So, like, if you have a a player who has you know maybe one year left on his deal, then it makes it a whole lot more palatable to do. And I, I think you. I like Jalen. I'm sorry. I like Jalen Brown. Yeah, somebody like that. Which obviously that's not going to be a salary dump. But you remember when uh, right. it, it, it was uh. Golden State, this was, I can't remember which summer this was. Um, I, I guess it was 2013. And Golden State was trying to, to clear out cap space because they wanted um Andre Iguodala, they wanted uh Dwight Howard also. And so they had to they they had to trade uh Andres Biedrins. They had to get rid of his contract to Utah, and they gave up two first round picks in order to do it. And that wasn't a big contract. It was a big contract, I guess, when you consider where the cap was at that point. But, you know, that's the type of deal that you are really kind of looking for where you have a team that's desperate to get off of a contract and you can really make – not make a killing as much as you could in the past, but you can still do a lot with that. I mean, the, you know, the Rockets got 
Uh, the Rockets gave up a lot to shed Chris Paul's contract, essentially, with the Russell Westbrook trade, where you know Westbrook had more money left on his contract, yet they gave up Paul, and then they also gave up the two picks plus two pick swaps in that trade. So you can kind of be predators in that spot if the situation is right. I don't know if they're in that type of situation, though, because, again, they want to be good next year. All right, I want to play a game real quick and and go through a, a few scenarios, all of which I think are, I would say, some sort of possibility for the Rockets this offseason of varying degrees. Only one of them has actual odds and probabilities on it, and that'll be the number one overall pick, obviously. That's going to be one of the scenarios. Spoiler alert. But the rest of them, what I'm going to do is I want you to tell me the likelihood of all three of these scenarios playing out for the Rockets and then individually rank the scenarios. And it helps again, because one of them has actual odds. Okay. So here are the scenarios that I want you to consider and for our audience to consider. Number one, that they get the number one overall pick in the lottery. Of course, the lottery is a couple of weeks away. The draft is a month and a half, almost really kind of close to two months away almost, but you get it. They get the number one overall pick, and we know what that means if they if they do get that pick, okay? So that happens. Free agency happens. They sign, let's just call it James Harden, okay? They sign James Harden. That's scenario number two. Scenario number three is what we were just discussing. They trade for a star. What are the chances that all three of those things could happen for them this offseason and, and then rank the likelihood of the of those three outcomes as one for the Rockets this offseason. Well, obviously they are incredibly slim because they when you have a when one of those three things has only a 14% chance, I mean that the chances are are incredibly rare for that to happen. It, it's incredibly, you know, slim that that happens, much less um all three happening. I, I would say if I had to rank them, uh, I would say Harden coming back would be number one. I think that's probably 50, 50 at this point. Okay. Then second, I would say the number one overall pick. And then third, I would say the trading for a, an all-star. I'm not going to say star. I'll say an all-star. Sure. So, that, so I would rank Harden number one pick trade for an all-star as most. Now, now I, I'm the one that presented this scenario. I'll concede obviously that the likelihood is very, very small. I think I even said that on the front end. Can we at least acknowledge that those are all three possibilities and things that they would be interested in doing and, and perhaps accomplishing in this offseason? Like, th like those three, that trifecta, if you will, is something that they could do. Yes, 100%. It is absolutely in play. I, okay. But I, I do think the trading for an all-star, and I, I mean, I'm the one who said they weren't going to hire Yudoka, so what do I know? So <laughs> I, I would say... I think the trading for somebody though is probably the slimmest out of those because I think yeah. one of the things that you've seen first, and this is something that we probably need to talk about at some point, but one of the things that you've seen is that the price on these players has gotten so ridiculous over the last couple of years. I mean, you look at what the Rockets got for, for Harden when he was in his, he was what a top five player in his prime. I mean, it's basically the same that, um, that that Utah got for for Donovan. I mean, hell, you could even say Utah got less for Donovan Mitchell, and I, I think they or Utah got more for Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert than the Rockets got for James Harden. I think you can certainly make that argument. Um, so that's why I almost think 
that it's it's not even worth it to make these trades. And then you look at how those trades have worked out. Um, you know, Atlanta goes from winning, uh, what, one playoff game last year to two playoff games this year after trading for DeJounte Murray. Um, uh, you had uh, Minnesota goes from winning two playoff games last year without Rudy Gobert to winning one playoff game this year with Rudy Gobert. Who knows what's going to happen with Phoenix after they cashed in all those chips for Kevin Durant, but that doesn't look good after they finished with the best record in the West last year and at least won seven playoff games. They might not even get to, to five playoff wins this year or six. Who knows? Um, yeah, yeah, it, and, and by the way, it's it's notable that they're that they are not a deep team going up against yes. a deep team in the playoffs right now. Like that that is the striking difference between them and Denver right now. Just yeah. to, just that, and I know yeah. you're about to mention Mitchell. Yeah, and and you know, I guess Mitchell would probably be the most the most successful out of that, yep. but yep. they still lost in the first round in five games. Yep. So again, it, it was it was a nice trade and, and it got them to the playoffs for the first time in a while, but it almost feels like that team is a little bit capped now because there there just isn't a whole lot that there aren't a whole lot of ways for them to get better. So that's why I almost say it's not worth it to do these trades unless it's just the perfect fit, just because of what we're seeing right now where it just a lot has to go right in order for those trades to work. So if I'm the Rockets, I'm focusing on the first two things that you mentioned, the getting the number one pick, which obviously is completely out of their hands and adding a big ticket free agent, whether it's James Harden or somebody else. And I'm kind of, you know, shoving off that last possibility of trading for an all-star. I'm shoving that one to the side just because I think the cost is too great at this point. Yeah, I, I think that's a cool and like long way for us to get to. Hey, the maybe your chances of getting the number one overall pick are even better than the idea of uh, you know trading Jalen Green, like or more likely than trading Jalen Green for you know whatever rental all star, whatever the case may be. You know, but, like but, like that 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 could be encouraged. But you know, it's a fourteen percent chance to get the number one pick. Don't forget two and three; those are yeah. pretty picks also yeah no that's okay. a good point that's de de that's definitely a good point and, and i think they're like 40 percent picking in the top three i think that's kind of the way the math goes if you can get into the top three take it like if i'm them and somebody comes up to me and says hey you can either roll the dice on getting the number one pick but if you don't get the number one pick you fall out of the top four altogether or or we'll just give you a, we'll give you the third pick just take the third pick that's what I think what I would probably do. And I, that's, that's probably, you know, playing it a little scared, but I would be more than happy if I'm them with getting a top three pick in this draft, just because of how good the other two top end prospects appear to be. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so you were at the M.A. Udoka introductory press conference, and, you know, the last time we talked, you know, we were we were pretty heavy on the idea that they needed to at least be up front and sort of answer for the elephant in the room, if you will. You know, the fact that M.A. Udoka, you know, in any normal circumstance, situation would not be available to the Rockets, and, and the reason why he is is something that they 
probably needed to answer for. Um, and so how do you think they did? How did it go? Um, I, we already talked about sort of the, what I thought was the nuts and bolts, really cool basketball sort of stuff. Um, and there, there's plenty more too, obviously, but, um, but, but as far as your takeaways from being there and, and obviously you're at everything, but, but what, what were your first impressions of Ime Udoka as Rockets head coach? I thought, you know, Tillman Fertitta, who was not scheduled to be there originally, that was like one of the, you know, he wasn't on the press release. Um, and then all of a sudden you get there and they have three mics set up like, okay, it looks like Tillman's going to actually talk. And it's one of the few times that he's talked publicly or at least held some sort of formal media availability. It's only the second time since the bubble. Um, so it was good to be able to talk to him and uh, just to kind of get his thoughts on some things. But so he gave an opening statement. Udoka gave an opening statement and Rafael Stone gave an opening statement. And I thought the one miss out of all that was that nobody mentioned why he was available to them in the first place. And there was no like, hey, I screwed up in Boston. It won't happen again. Like I thought that would have been, been a perfect time just to get that out of the way and to at least mention that. And so to me, that was a bit of a miss in the first, I guess it was eight minutes of that press conference. But after that, I thought it went fine. I, you know, they, he, he did not exactly um, face any of the stuff head on, which I, I guess was probably um, folly by me to suggest that they would really get into the details of that. And I probably screwed that, even screwed that up, even by mentioning that they should. Uh, there's just a lot of legal stuff that goes with that. But I, I did think that he took ownership and he took responsibility for what he did in Boston. He just didn't explain what he did in Boston. So they kind of danced around that. But I, I thought for the most part, he did a good job of at least um, taking ownership for it. And, you know, I, I asked him if he thought that the Celtics were uh, justified in the actions that they took against him. And he didn't say yes, but he also didn't say no. And so I do think that he understood that he was in the wrong and that he um, conducted himself in a completely unprofessional way uh, if, while he was in Boston. And, and I would hope that he understands that that can't happen again. And, you know, one of the things that we probably should have asked um, the Rockets during this whole thing is, is there like some sort of a no tolerance policy where, you know, is that in the contract? I, I guess they wouldn't get into the, you know, the legal aspects of the contract, but, you know, is this one of those things where he understands that this can't, this isn't going to happen here. This is his second chance. And if he blows it, it, you know, on the first shot, then it's over for him at that point. I would hope that he understands that, but it wasn't something that was explicitly asked. Yeah. And, and I, I feel like, you know, all, all we were calling for, or, you know, the, the point we were trying to make is that there needed to be some accountability taken just, just from a public facing standpoint, you know, it isn't even a matter of, hey, I need all of the, the the nitty gritty details of exactly what happened. It's just like, hey, we need to be publicly accountable for this. Like, because if you don't, it does give the feeling of sweeping something under the rug. And, and then that poses more questions than it answers, obviously. It's like, okay, well, if you just kind of have a public front facing statement or a position on what exactly happened, then you don't have to, then you take away the element of what are they hiding? Well, they told you what, you know, what's what. So that's kind of the whole, the whole point of that, you know, like, like beyond that, I just, like I, I, my impressions were that they did for the most part, take accountability for what they were asked of, like going back to your point of maybe they should have been asked this or that. And you can depict what they might've been asked or not asked, but I did feel like there was some, 
accountability or understanding for, Hey, you know, this is, you know, this is, this is something like the, the part about him needing to work on himself and, and we don't have to get all like super personal about like, you know, and all of that, but like saying that, making that point to me, I thought was a, was a good, was probably a good look in terms of, you know, at least trying to be publicly accountable for what happened. Yeah, and you're talking about when he said he went to seek counseling or counseling and, and, and stuff with the son and everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, did, I did think that was good because again, a lot of times, you know, you go through stuff like this, and or I, I shouldn't say a lot of times, but sometimes people go through stuff like this and they don't do anything, and then you say, oh, you know what, I'm fine. You know, I did whatever happened happened. I wasn't in the wrong, but it'll never. I'll make sure that it never happens again. Well, okay, well, what actions are you actually taking? in order to make sure that happens. I think you kind of have a little bit of that with John Morant, where John Morant just kind of left the team for a week and then came back. And okay, I guess everything is supposed to be better at this point. So I give Ime Yudoka credit that he, A, did that stuff, and B, admitted publicly that he did that stuff. So we're not going to get, we're not, he's not past it. Like he's still going to have to answer this stuff, especially when he go. you know, when he goes to Boston, that's where it, it really is going to come up. But I, I thought that he did a pretty good job of at least addressing it for now. And also, um, I thought it was interesting. There was one player in attendance for this press conference, and it was Kevin Porter Jr. And if anybody understands second chances, it's Kevin Porter Jr. So I thought kind of that um, little bit of symbolism, I, I thought I think was important. And it was good to have at least one player there. I'm, I'm a little surprised there weren't more, but again, a lot of these guys aren't in Houston at this point in the offseason. But I, I think Porter's going to spend the entire offseason here is what it seems like. Yeah, so... So what do you think about that? Like the M.A. Udoka, Kevin Porter, like I'm I'm trying to figure out like how some of these relationships are going to work because I, I, I feel like M.A. Udoka is somebody that'd be good for Kevin Porter Jr. And I, and I thought Steven Silas was good for him on, on a certain level. But like, I, 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 you know, talk about knowing about second chances, but also somebody that um, can like help provide some structure and have like a, you know, the, the type of personality where he will challenge you, you know what I mean? But I think, you know, Ime Yudoka seems to have a good feel for personalities. Like he'll challenge you, but also kind of understand, you know, like Kevin Porter Jr. You might not give him the same kick in the ass that you would give. I don't know, just name whatever player, Jason Tatum, I, I just name whatever other player that he might've gave a kick in the ass to, if, if, if that makes sense. So like, I'm, I'm interested. I, I I didn't get to go, so I haven't been around him at all. But I'm interested to see how his personality rubs off on, or is is reflected on the team. I should say. Yeah, that and that's one of those things that we'll have to wait and see. Uh, I don't yeah. think you heard a whole lot about how you know what that personality is like in a whatever it was a 35 minute press conference where he probably spoke for a third of the time. But it's one of those things that you learn, and I, I do think what's important too is that. Um, you have to coach all your guys a little differently. Like yeah. the way you handle Kevin Porter Jr. might not be the same way that you handle uh, Jalen Green. And, and I think that, you know, reading what Kelly Eco wrote in The Athletic, where Jalen Green really wants to be coached hard. And, and I don't know if that's always been the case with Kevin Porter Jr. You remember John Lucas got on him at halftime of a game uh, last year, and he kind of, you know, lost it at least for a minute. You know, he lost his composure after that happened. So I, I think that's part of – that's what I think makes coaches – I think that's what makes great coaches great is that they understand I can coach this guy a certain way, but I have to coach this guy a little bit differently. 
And, you know, I, I think that it, it, you don't you don't know that necessarily overnight. It takes some time to kind of learn your guys and learn their personalities. But I do think that he, at least the one thing that you know about him in Boston was that he was really able to connect well with his players and at least figure them out to that degree. Yeah. The, yeah, that, that, that'll that be interesting to see. Um, obviously, we don't know a lot about, you know, how, how the – interpersonal interactions are based off of him being the coach for eight days. So, um, so we'll need, we'll need time to see that play out, but Kevin Porter Jr. Going back to your point, like him being there, someone who I would say, I guess my whole point of asking that question is like Kevin Porter Jr. Is someone who has to be uniquely coached and uniquely handled and dealt with. And to his credit, like we're, we're saying all of that. And you mentioned that from when, you know, what happened now two seasons ago, but, you know, he showed tremendous growth in a lot of ways this past season, I thought, uh, from a maturity standpoint, missed all that time with the injury. Um, and they and we saw how much they needed him, how much they missed him. But just as a player on the court and not feeling like there was really too much off the court that, that felt like it was, you know, a problem. You know, first year, you know, you know, coming off the, the contract extension and all of that and ended up being, for the most part, their best player. I'm interested to see how, like, his – relationship with the new coach actually plays out and then also what his role is going to be if we're to assume that the team is going to change drastically um and i don't know how drastically you know i gave the three scenarios and we ranked them you know i feel like one of those things is going to happen you know like and i don't know which one it is um we have no way of knowing which one it is that's kind of the exciting part of the offseason but, you know, seeing, seeing how that plays out exactly. But one of those things is going to happen. How does Kevin Porter Jr.'s role uh, change and, and and what does his future exactly look like? I think it's a still an unanswered question and something that we're going to have to keep an eye on. And you can say that about everybody because yep. the, the one thing that Rafael Stone signaled is that they don't want to just sign, you know, we talked about the cap space. They don't want to just sign one guy with that cap space. They want to sign two, three guys with that cap space. Plus you're bringing in, a top five pick plus you're bringing in uh, another, you know, an another first round pick to go with that. So, I mean, this roster could look, could, could look very, very different um, when we, uh, when they meet for uh, when training camp starts uh, in the fall where you're adding, you know, you could add as many as five players to, you know, five players that you expect to possibly be four or five players that you expect to at least be in your rotation when the season starts. I mean, We'll have to get it. We'll get into this later on once you get into the off season. But there are there are some guys that are going to have to play for their jobs uh, once camp does come around because I don't think that um, there are certain guys who are guaranteed roster spots next season. I want to ask you: You think I was crazy for so while I was watching the Kings and the Warrior series, I got to a space of and we saw a lot of the Kings right when they played when the Rockets played the Kings they played them back to back right. So it's like it felt like we saw the Kings twice as much as we did, you know. So I you know, obviously was familiar with the Kings, maybe more so than a lot of people who watch the NBA and don't, you know, have allowed the Kings to become an afterthought, you know. But I watched them and just thought, man. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. 
Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Alperin Shingoon could be the level of player. I know he's not quite as big as DeMontis Sabonis, but he could be the, that level of player. They're not the exact same, but he could be that level of player. Kevin Porter Jr. is two years younger than De'Aaron Fox. He's not as good as De'Aaron Fox, I don't think. But, man, but what if what if in two years, you know, and just draw, draw, drawing these parallels in my mind of, you know, like what if, is Jalen Green like just a, a much, much better Malik Monk? You know, like just watching their team and trying to look at it through a localized lens. Am, am I crazy for that, for thinking that, hey, the the – the Kings made it that far and have their trajectory has changed based off of having two players uh, for the most part. And they have a good team, obviously, but they've got the, a, a, a team centered around Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox, De'Aaron Fox being their best player. Is Alperin, could Alperin Shingun be that level of player where if you pair him with say, whoever that guard is that, that fills De'Aaron Fox role, whether it's Jalen Green or, you know, whoever it is, like, could you, could you see that sort of trajectory? Am I, am I weird for dreaming like that or for, or for drawing those sort of parallels? Can I ask you a question though? Yeah. Do you want that? No. When you, when you look at, would you, because I I think the Kings were a nice story and they had a, obviously they had a really good year, but it kind of feels like there's a ceiling on that roster. Yeah. Yeah. Best players are bonus and Fox. It feels like, you know, you can you can get to 50 wins, but are you beating a title contender in the playoffs? And I think the one thing that we at least saw with this playoff run is that with those two guys as your best player, I don't know if you can get that far. Now, they had some injuries and Sabonis had the thumb and and Fox had the, had the finger, but I kind of feel like if that's your ceiling, that's not quite – I don't think that's what this organization is looking for because they've been talking about winning a championship, and I don't know if you're winning a championship with Sabonis and Fox as your two best players. Oh, absolutely not. See, so my thing is the parallels to me is, as well is, like, the Kings are a player away. Like, they they need another guy, and, and they probably need another guy that's better than both of those guys. And, like, I don't know what Keegan Murray's ceiling is, but, like – I feel like he's going to be a really good player. I don't think that that's going to be the guy, but I'm thinking about like, hey, they they just they're a team that has evolved and has built their team well, and they just need that other piece. They need another piece, and that hey, the Rockets could kind of similarly be that team. They just haven't developed in what the Kings have developed into, but they also still are going to need that other piece beyond what they have right now, and that could come in the form of a Victor Wembanyama, a Scoot Henderson, a like whatever it is that they end up doing in the draft, uh, the, the the unlikely trade scenario that we painted out there, the signing James Harden, whatever or whatever free eight, like whatever it may be, like maybe that piece is still what they're missing, but some of the younger pieces could be emerging as what I think Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox ideally are, which is more complementary pieces to you know, a, a, a better, more, you know, frontline player in front of them, like as, as the star, you know, like I, I still think that they're missing that, that, that piece on the same level that the Rockets are. They're just, you know, further along in their development. You know, Sabonis is old, is much older than Albert Shingoon. Uh, De'Aaron Fox, like I mentioned, is two years older than, and three, three, four years older than uh, Jalen Green, so on and so forth. 
Yeah, and I think what I'm trying to I believe this was Sabonis' eighth year in the league. Seventh or eighth year, yeah, one of those, yeah. He was part of the 2016. Yeah, he was 20. I'm thinking he was 2015, but yeah, he came out in 2016 when they got to the uh when they got to the final four. So yeah, um, I, I don't I, I think because Sabonis and, and Shingun, you know, they're somewhat similar in that they they aren't really three-point threats. They aren't really, you know, above the rim type threats, but they're playmakers. So yeah, I, I do see the parallels between the two. I just don't know if that's if how you want if you want your team built around that type of a player in 2023. I don't I don't yeah. think that that's that's a winning player in 2023, but it's not a championship level player in 2023. So I think that's where it becomes that that's where building an NBA team is so difficult because this gets into the whole is he an 82 game player or is he a 16 game player? Like over the course of an 82 game season, you want Sabonis over Jimmy Butler, but once you get into 16 game season, you want Jimmy Butler over Sabonis. So that's where that's where building championship level teams is so difficult, and it's why so few teams actually win championships. That's why you see the same teams in there in the finals every single year. That's why you had Warriors, Cavs play in the finals for four straight years, just because the types of players that you need to win 12, 16 playoff games is very difficult to find. Yeah, yeah, because like w- without watching the Kings, you might assume or think that Sabonis is their best player, and it could even have made the case that he was during the regular season. But certainly, once the playoffs came around, it was clearly dear. It was clearly dear in Fox, and there was a ceiling on what what you could do with Sabonis. I mean, this guy can't can't really give you much outside of the paint. I mean, what what's that going to do for you when you're playing against the Warriors? You know, like there's just like it. So, so ideally, like a guy like that is somebody that you would have built around 20 years ago where, or maybe even 15 years ago, 10 or 15 years ago, where it's like, Hey, you've got a, a really good playmaking big man and you surround him with shooters, you know? Um, and you know, three point shooters and, and really good defensive players also, you know, especially in Shingun's case to, to hide for his defensive deficiencies. So, um, but yeah, no, I just I was I was just looking at it and just thinking, hey, you know, if if the players develop like this and they do get some of those key pieces that hey, because I, I tell you what I do, what I do want. Like I don't I don't want like a player that's analogous to Demonis Sabonis to be the best player on the team, but I do want them to be in that position. Like I I do want them to 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 develop and find themselves in a situation where they've they've worked to climb themselves out of what the last three years have been. And, and that would be like, I, I do think what the Kings are is a, a testament to what they've done sort of strategy wise. Obviously they traded for Sabonis. They didn't draft them like, you know, like the Rockets did with Shingun, but you know, they, they'd been on a laughing stock for a long time. And, and lo and behold, they've made a couple of moves that, um, that, you know, that, that makes sense. And I think, I think that is a place where the Rockets want to be within the next you know year or two. I think, the number of players who were in the league the last time Sacramento made the playoffs, I think it's just, I think they're just three. I think it's just Haslam, um, LeBron James and Chris Paul. I I think that those three were in the league when, when the Kings were in the playoffs in 2006. And I don't think anybody else was because all these, you know, like uh, maybe Iguodala. Yeah, he was. I think yeah, he was he, the 04 class. 04 class, yeah. So that would yeah. be another one. Yeah, but yeah, but like Rudy Gay was 2006. Mike Conley was 2007. Kings 
had not had not made the playoffs. Durant was 2007. Um, Westbrook was 2008. You know, not, you know, Kings hadn't made it. It's crazy. There are there are really good players who went their entire careers without seeing the Sacramento Kings in the playoffs. That's just how long uh, that it had been for for those guys. Um, the, the team that that you kind of look at is just how tough it is to build a championship team is like Cleveland where it's like, okay, they went and they got Mitchell and they were awesome in the regular season, but it kind of feels like there's a ceiling with Donovan Mitchell as your best player. You kind of saw that with him in Utah where, you know, they could win a playoff series, but that seemed to be about it. And even um, they have these two terrific centers. They have these two all-star caliber centers and they just got beat up in that series. And so it makes you wonder a little bit just about the trajectory of that team. I'm, I, I, I've never asked anybody this, but I, I do feel like I'd have to ask Rafael Stone this at some point. To me, it's harder to build a championship-level basketball team than any than any other sport. I think it's easier to build a Super Bowl-winning team um, than it is a championship basketball team, and I think it's easier to build a World Series team than a, than a, than a championship NBA team. I just think it's very difficult because – there are only a handful of players that can actually get you to that level. So, A, you have to find those guys, but then also you have to try and build a roster around those guys. I just think it's so difficult. Yeah, you know, and that kind of takes me back to our original question about the Jalen Green trade rumors because you're trying. that is what you're chasing, right? Like, that is what you're trying to find, and the whole reason why you would entertain trading somebody that is as talented and who you have invested as much in as a Jalen Green, you know, your number two overall pick just a little while ago. The only reason why you would even consider trading a guy like that is because you're looking for, and you painted the picture, right? You gave the example, Luca's available. Okay, well, yeah, now we're having the conversation. Now we're not just having the conversation. I'm going to hurry up and do it before you change your mind. You know, like, because that that's what you're chasing. And then in every scenario that I presented, you know, however likely they may or may not be, right, the the, the chances of of landing the number one overall pick or even the two and the three, like you mentioned, or signing James Harden or trading for a star or doing some combination, some sort of combination of the three, you know, that you're, you're trying to find that lightning in a bottle of, hey, I've got at least this one guy or these two or three collection of guys that can get me there. You know, like I've got a, uh, Jokic and Murray situation or, you know, like, like, I mean, just look around, look, look around, even the teams, like the teams that, that you're seriously considering as title contenders have the two stars and the depth, you know, but you, but you absolutely have to have, you know, you absolutely, the reason why the Suns are where we are now, like they had the stars and the depth too, but then they sacrificed the depth just to add the star. Right, because they need that type of guy to take them over. Like they've they've been there already. They were in the finals a couple of years ago. They had the embarrassing loss to the to the Mavericks in Game Seven last year. So like they've 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 tried the the one way. Now they're just like, hey, we hell with it. Let's go get Kevin Durant. You know, like because like it, it, that's to your point. That's how hard it is. You need to win a championship. You got to go get Kevin Durant. You know, you got to draft Giannis. You know what I mean? You got to sign LeBron in free agency. You know, like that's that's what you're up against. You know, you need you need Steph Curry to become the greatest shooter of all time and have like the happen to have one of the best collections of of players that that's ever been assembled, you know, as far as like especially at the top. Like it's it it is it is super hard and you also need a little bit of luck, you know, to go with it.
Yeah, you, you need the fourteen percent chance of winning the lottery to come your yeah. way. So yeah, yeah, no, no, no. And, for and sure. then you need to draft that guy, and you need and you need that guy to stay healthy, which is you've seen in New Orleans, it's very difficult for for that to happen. So a, a lot, so much of it, so much of it, some of it is skill, but so much of it is luck. Hey, is is James Harden going to play his way out of the chances of coming to Houston? Like, like is he going? Is he based off of now? I know they they got like bum rushed in game two obviously but the game in game one without Joel Embiid James Harden went vintage James Harden okay and this is the day after Stephen Curry had gone vintage Steph Curry okay but I'm starting to think like man if he's gonna play like this and God forbid that the 76ers like actually make some noise here they're already making noise but they advance and this thing looks good. You saw you saw all of the bromancing when Embiid got the MVP. Harden and went out there. A side note, I wouldn't mind being friends with James Harden. He is a hell of a guy. I'm one of the worst gift givers. He is a hell of a gift giver. He's just, you know, giving Joel Embiid a Rolex for winning the MVP and all of that. Like, you see all this going on. Like, is this working out well enough? And I've always been skeptical about this James Harden thing c- coming back to Houston because I'm like, the thing in Philly seems kind of good. I mean, they should. He, I mean, they should be interested in him. He should be interested in them. I don't know why he wouldn't come back here uh, for basketball reasons. I know why the Rockets might be interested in ba- for basketball reasons because they're not any good, and he is still good. But do you like? Is it crazy to think that th- th- this is working so well in Philly right now that the Rockets might not have as great of a chance as Harden as we maybe felt like when we first started having this conversation? Have you seen the game two box score? Game two box score wasn't great. Two for 14, 0 for 6 yeah. for 3. Yeah, I mean, he was awesome in game one. I've seen it before. <laughs> I've seen the awesome James Harden game one before. James yeah. Harden game one, James Harden might be the greatest game one player in the history of the NBA, but it's a long series. So no, I, if I, if I a lot of it's gonna he, come down to he was, he was adjusting the to, to Embiid coming back, you know. They, they it was a it was a different kind of game as well, but but he's gonna but, love dumping the ball into Shingun there for, for all those possessions. Fair no, enough. I, he's a spot up shooter, but point I, 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 I think that's and Harden could go on to have three incredible games after this one. I, I don't think it's gonna change a whole lot. I think that for for Philly. They have to weigh the do we want to give a 30, soon to be 34 year old guard a four year max? And the Rockets are going to have to weigh that same question too. Like, I don't necessarily think it's a given that the Rockets are going to want to give him four years. I, I think if, I think if, if he comes to them and says, Hey, I'll take two, they'll, the, the Rockets would be thrilled with that. They would, have, they would do that in a heartbeat. But it, it just becomes a, it, you know, for Philly, they're going to have to pay Tyrese Maxey at some point. Like you could almost say, if you're the Sixers, we can let Harding go and then we can build around Embiid and Maxey. And we still have Harris. And, I, you know, that contract I know is bad, but it's coming up soon. We have the ability to make other moves if that's the direction that we want to go in. So, you know, a lot of it is going to depend on how um, this postseason ends up for the Sixers. But no, I, I don't think that there's a, a way where Harden could necessarily play himself out of Philly. And you kind of saw this with, uh, remember with, with Kawhi Leonard, where there was a feeling, oh, if he wins a championship in Toronto, well, then he'll just re-sign with the Raptors. No, I don't think guys necessarily you know think like that. 
I think guys want to go where they want to go. And if James Harden wants to come back to Houston, I think that he will come back to Houston regardless of how many games this team has won in the past. I mean, you saw LeBron James leave a team in Miami that went to the finals four straight years to go to a team that had missed the playoffs four straight years in Cleveland because he had a connection with that team. And I think he saw that, you know, it was time to move on from Miami. I think that James Harden could probably see the same thing where, you know what, I have a, I have a connection with this organization in Houston. This is where I'm happiest. This is where I want to be and maybe even finish my career. Yeah, man, this is the other localized lens in which I'm watching the NBA playoffs and I'm, I'm enjoying it just for what it is like rockets aside. Like I, I, it'd be great once they're competitive again and we're having conversations about the Rockets in the Western Conference semifinals and, and potentially being finals contenders and all that, whenever that happens again, that'll be great. I'm enjoying it for what it is, but I, I mentioned the the Kings parallels, just some of the things that remind me of the Rockets or some of their players. This is the other thing where, where James Harden is like the the clear sort of, you know, the – the unanswered question or the, the 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 thing that's on the other side so to speak if you will you know so like I'm, I'm watching the games sort of through that lens a little bit and, and and then on the other side of that you know they're playing against the celtics who have jalen brown who there's the question there that looms large i think uh and maybe not as immediate maybe it's more so of a hey you know jalen brown's going to be a free agent the next year is that is that a conversation that we're having say a year from now but i just look around in the playoffs and see like these you know these possibilities for the rockets i'm like oh is you know is you know is is shingun a, a, a player that you you know that you build around is he a piece like what how does how does exactly does does he fit into the larger picture which is a conversation we've had plenty of course and then i'm like okay harden you know to your point is that a is that a dude that that takes a two-year deal here does, does does Philly go out of their mind and and is the relationship with you know how well does this year go and you know his relationship with Morris such that hey they do overpay and give him a four-year deal and then you know forget that idea you know and then of course you know like the Jalen Brown thing so like all of these possibilities I feel like are in the background for the Rockets and of course we got the lottery coming up got the lottery coming up in about uh, what is it 13 days. days. Yeah. So roughly two weeks, just inside of two weeks. So exciting times, man. Exciting times. Yeah, for sure. It's Uh, an interesting summer to say the least. What do you, uh, I mean, we might as well just had this conversation here. We're going to do something for the people, right? Like whether it's for this lottery, man, whether it's a special on the air, whether it's through the Odyssey app, whether it's just us talking here, Damn it, they can record that we can do a special that they can run. I don't care. So one way or the other, we are going to bring some in-depth and special NBA draft lottery coverage to the people between now and when that happens in, you know, less than two weeks, right? I'm I'm just waiting for the bosses to tell me what to do. That's all I do. The bosses tell me to do something, and I usually listen to them. Usually. Yeah. Well, call that a tease then. Y'all keep a a an ear out for that we'll just put that little bug in your ear for now um but in the meantime y'all make sure y'all are subscribing rating reviewing telling people about the podcast this is the h-town Hoops podcast you can get it wherever you get podcasts and of course on the odyssey app um again make sure you're telling people about it 
And uh, we'll be back with more Rockets offseason coverage for you guys uh, with the lottery coming up pretty soon. And for Adam Spillane, Austin Mendez producing this bad boy behind the scenes, we appreciate it. I'm Brandon Scott. And until next time, y'all be good.